0: This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at
1: gatewayfellowship.com.
0: You like Sarah Boyd, don't you? I I know you do. And and, uh, so Sarah's coming, Dr. Sarah Boyd. She's an apologist. She's on our teaching team. And for those of you, because we have new people since Sarah's been here last... We are incredibly blessed to have her on our team. So, Sarah, you're coming right now, and so join us, will ya? And continuing our series, yeah, called DNA. Now, let me ask you this question: In all of your lifetime, yes, which is like so many years, yeah, not that many. So many years. We don't need to talk about how many. In all of your life, have you ever been a part of a series called DNA? I have not. Are you excited? I am. It's been good. I've been listening online. Have you? It's been good. It's been good, huh? right? You've been listening? Yeah. How, how, how was it? It's good. Thumbs okay, up. Okay, good. All right. Okay. okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, good morning. So, you know, it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. How many of you, like, you got the apps, like, planned, you were at Costco yesterday, doing all the things? Costco's like a whole other level of sanctification, you know? It's just, okay, Lord, you're going to change my heart as I, uh, as I roll in here. You know, what's interesting about the Super Bowl is, um, you know, I don't care um, at all. <laughs> this year, zero. Uh, I've, I've actually been more entertained by the, like, the whole Taylor Swift drama uh, with the guy that she's um, dating. Yeah, th- thank you. <laughs> right, but you know, it's, what's interesting is that, you know, a couple. You know, well, it's been more than a couple, unfortunately, it's been more than a couple years since the Seahawks have made the Super Bowl. Um, but you know, when your team is playing, you're a little more impassioned, right? right. right. Is you a little more like stake in the game? Yeah. Uh, I do remember the level of trash talk that happened coming out of my mouth that year. And <laughs> I'm not even a football fan. Like, I didn't even know who was winning at one point if the score wasn't on the screen. Like, I don't, I don't know the game that well. Um, but it, it kinda highlights what we're talking about with our spiritual DNA this week with this idea of unity, right? Because when we agree, or you know, when we don't have a strong opinion, it's, it's easy to live in unity, right? But not so much when we disagree or we have very strong opinions. Now, I know if you're like me, you wish that the manuscript would be found that listed opinionated as a spiritual gift. Uh, I keep hoping for that development, but you know, so far, it doesn't seem to have made the list. But, you know, have you ever been part of a team in a church or a commi- I, mean, just, I mean, let's just use the spiritual word, a committee, <laughs> where, uh, you know, you had to make a change. To the carpet. (laughs) Style of chair. Here's the big one. Paint color. (laughs) Nothing will highlight the gift of opinion more than trying to make a change. And so as we kind of roll into this next attribute of spiritual DNA and we talk about unity this morning, Um, I want to highlight for you the opening of a little work done by a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who lived, if you know, I mean, he's pretty well known at this point. So, you know, right into World War II time, right? So the true German church is underground. Third Reich is oppressing the church. And he opens his work, like the first line of the work is actually scripture. It's Psalm one hundred and 33 verse one, which says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, right? And so in this work called Life Together, the classic exploration of faith in community, the very first thing that he tackles, the very first thing he wants to highlight for those who are gonna read his position on this is the idea that Christian community is a privilege, it's a privilege. It's a blessing, it's a gift. He goes on to say then, it is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. And you know, just think about that for a moment. Like think about the German church, the true church during that time in history. Think about Paul writing all the things that he wrote from a prison. Think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in areas of the world even now where persecution and separation from community is a reality. So the question comes to us in America with our our comfort and our wealth and our ease do we think of Christian community as a blessing or as an obligation or as an extra? Like, it's there for me when I want it. It's so nice that I have it. It's like the mall. I can go to the mall whenever I want to, which is never. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't have to go. So he goes on to say this. He says, So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship. I want us to hold on to that line. Visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share in God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing, the imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. So not only is Christian community a privilege, a gift, a blessing, but the other thing we're going to look at today is this reality that it is also a visible witness. It is by the world looking at the church the cuz Christ is the head of one church singular that they see a react a, a a reflection of who God is so it's a gift it's a benefit it's a privilege it is pleasant and so how many of you have ever been to Disneyland and you've been on like the uh, Indiana Jones roller coaster Yes, I don't, I don't love that one, um, mostly because even if I am buckled and literally holding on for dear life, I still feel like I'm going to fall out of that thing, right? Uh, that's kind of how I feel about what we're going to talk about today. Like buckle up, hold on, because to talk about unity, we have to talk about some of the things where we divide. Yeah. To talk about unity, we have to talk about humility. To talk about u- unity, we have to talk about pride. And there is no discussion that will strike to the core of us than a discussion on pride. And so I offer that friendly Disneyland welcome to Sunday morning service. Please keep all of your belongings with you and get ready for what the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of this morning. All right, so... As we go into this, I want to set a little bit of scriptural precedence, obviously, and then we're going to look at a wider passage and draw some applications from it. But you know, when we think about unity, I want to sort of prevent us from doing what sometimes we do, which is to think about the early church as perfect. I mean, have you ever heard Christians say, "Why can't we just be more like the early church?" And I'm like, "Have you read First Corinthians?" Because I don't know that that was great, you know? And if you haven't, I mean, there you go. There's your Bible passage for the next week, all right? But, but Paul addresses this. the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, his first chapter, the church is divided over which leaders to follow. And so he says to, this in verse, he says to the church in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I want us to be very clear here, but Paul does not say is that I urge you to not disagree. He doesn't say you can't have differing opinions what does he say you can't divide he says it shouldn't be fractious it says that okay so you don't like this or you don't like this we we work together we wrestle we submit ourselves we lay down pride in order that we might what be perfectly united And and then in that whole letter, in his whole second letter, he is going to really correct a lot of terrible practices in the church that he's still talking to believers, right? Like Because believers, we can get it wrong sometimes. And in both of these letters, he is going to correct and urge unity to the point that now the very end of his second letter, in 2 Corinthians 13, he's going to say this, to the very same group of people. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now what I would really like to talk to you about this morning is the holy kiss part, but that's a whole separate message and we just don't have time to go there this morning. But what I I do want you to see in that verse at the very end there is that we have a picture of the Trinity. Do you see that? (laughs) That you you would have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with you. See the Trinity. God Himself is triune. He's a triunity, and so we have to do if we're if we're really going to understand unity this morning, we have to at least at some point have a very mini theology lesson on the Trinity, the triunity of God. Now I teach high schoolers theology. And my friends, if a high schooler at 8 in the morning can learn about the Trinity, I feel confident that we can do this this morning as well. So there is a screen that's going to come up. It has a little triangle on it, and we're going to, we're going to talk about this in terms of the triangle. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, right? This is how Israel would have started every single morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... Good, you passed that test. Good. Good. Now now here's the deal, you will sometimes have snarky people, you will sometimes be the snarky person, but let's talk about when other people are snarky, right? And they're like the Trinity, that doesn't, even, that doesn't even make sense, Christian. One plus one plus one is three. So this Trinity thing is just weird, it's illogical. Okay, when someone is sort of like that, if it's snarky, now if it's sincere, I, I have a different approach. If it's snarky, I meet them on their terms a little bit in order to push them off center and hopefully make them listen, I'd say, "Well, you're just doing the wrong math." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, because one times one times one is one, right? And then you know you can actually have a conversation. But you know we'll get to the, tr- the Trinity, uh, the triangle here in a moment. But but let's just think about. Is is the Trinity a mystery to some degree? Absolutely. Can I I give you a lesson in this morning or any morning, if we had all the time in the world, to fully understand the Trinity in a way that we'd walk out and be like, that's it. No, there is mystery, and that's good because we are finite and God is infinite. There is mystery because it requires us to have faith. It is mystery because it is the God of the universe. He is the creator. We are the creation. But that does not mean it's illogical, and that does not mean that he has not revealed himself, and that does not mean that we have zero options of understanding. So it's not illogical because think for a moment if instead of the Super Bowl today, it was March Madness already— yeah. <laughs> okay. So if I'm holding now, okay, I, I've already declared I am not a sports ball person. But, you know, if I was holding like an NBA basketball, it would be rough, roughly this size. Yes? Okay. It would be a burnt orange brown, depending on our eyesight color, right? And it would be the shape that is spherical, circle. Yeah, are we all agreed? And yet I'm I'm imagining here, I'm I'm pretending to hold, how many basketballs? But I just described three aspects of that basketball. There's a oneness and a threeness even to that object. If I change the size of the basketball, do I have an NBA basketball? No, I have a little toddler one that even I can slam dunk, (laughs) right? but I don't, have, I don't have the same object anymore. If I, if I change the color, maybe that's insignificant, generally speaking, but to an NBA game, right? That wouldn't happen, you don't see bright, well, I don't know, because I don't watch, but I'm assuming you don't have like bright neon green, you know, basketballs. Okay, what if I described to you a ball that it was about roughly this size, circle, white. Could be a bit, What? Well, okay. Ba- yeah, ba- baseball, golf ball. golf ball, see, ping pong. <laughs> ping pong. <laughs> so, so this idea that one thing can have a threeness to it, where if we take any one of those aspects away, it's no longer the same thing, that's incredibly logical. That doesn't defy logic. And in fact, the triangle, an equilateral triangle, I think is the best way of understanding the Trinity because it is necessarily triune. I have three equal angles there that I cannot remove and still have the triangle, and yet each angle is distinct from the other angle, and yet they all share the same area or nature of that space. So there's a threeness and a oneness to God, and this is, this is you know, Paul, Paul constantly writing these letters, correcting thinking, correcting doctrine, cor- correcting practice, so important, but you know what he also corrected was the heart, to have the right heart with the right doctrine, the right heart with the right practice, and friends, it's important that we understand the very character of God is unity It's how he has chosen to exist from eternity to eternity. And he has created a people, he has designed a church that is meant to reflect the very character he possesses. Which is why I think we see in Jesus' final moments before he goes to the cross, a very clear picture of this in what he prays for his disciples, and for future believers. So let's turn our attention to to John chapter 17. So Paul, we've already looked at the early church, Paul's urging for unity. Obviously this is difficult. Obviously this is hard. The church is not great at it. It also has to be difficult if moments before Christ is going to begin the passion where he is arrested and uh, put on trial and mocked and beaten and crucified and put to death. His prayer is for the unity of his people. Then we cannot consider this as optional. So John 17, verses 9 through 19. Let's just go ahead and read them together. This is the, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus. I pray for them. I'm not, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. You know, there's a pattern here that Jesus is explaining father you and i and the spirit we, we are all one the church is to be one i've been sent into the world i am sending them into the world this this is the pattern and so if we think about it the word right go back to the very beginning of john the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we've seen his revelation so Christ the word came and revealed himself. The church, now in the image of God, takes the revelation of Christ into the world and it's difficult. The world doesn't just go, oh, thank you for convicting us of our sin. But it says it hates, it hates the truth. I mean, read all of John and John is constantly using the metaphor light and dark. And why do people like the dark? Because they like their evil deeds. I mean, isn't that true of us? And we have Christ and we have to fight that. How much more people who don't have Christ? And so this unity that Christ is praying for for his disciples is to strengthen them for a very difficult mission. Which is maybe why the author of Hebrews echoes kind of the same thing about Christian community where there was such heavy persecution and where if you identified yourself as a Christian, you were likely to face death in some way at some time. And the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let's let's just talk about 2024 for a moment. It is a blessing that we have the online capabilities that we have. There have been seasons in my life where I could not be in community i I had a a, a reconstructed foot situation several years ago i couldn't leave the house i'm thankful i could be a part online there's times where you're traveling there's there it's a beautiful thing so in what i'm about to say i don't want you to hear me say that there's never a season where that is a beautiful gift and extension of community but friends we've gone from persecution to pajamas in a lot of ways too where before they're they're giving up meeting together because literally it means death where many have given up community because well I can watch it on home at home in my pajamas and I can pick what speaker I listen to and it's all about me and I never have to mess with those annoying people and I think we need I think I think there's a caution for us I think there's a caution for us here to really see Christian community as the privilege, as the blessing, and the visible witness of God that it is intended to be. And there is nothing that mars, taints, or stains that witness like disunity among the people of God, especially when it is over petty, petty things. I mean, what a turnoff to the God of the universe that his children act like they act. I mean, have you been in a grocery store where you saw a child? Maybe not reflecting their parent as well? Okay, church, how are we doing? The other thing is, as we talk about this witness to the world, if we think about the context of John, right, because we don't want to just read John 17, we don't want to just think about John 1, like think about the whole book of John, just a few chapters before Jesus is going to pray for unity, what does he do? Chapter 13, he sets the example of selfless sacrifice and submission by washing the disciples' feet. The task that was reserved for the lowliest and most insignificant servant is done by the Savior of the world. What level of sacrifice, what level of humility, what level of submission that we might have to operate in is more than what the Son who took on flesh and died for us did. You cannot outgive what Christ has done. We cannot outserve him, we cannot out-sacrifice him, and we cannot outsubmit for his purposes. How's that safety buckle feeling I'm in the, you know. So not only does Jesus pray for his immediate disciples, but then he, det- he turns his attention for all, future disciples friends he moves into praying for you and I John 17 starting with verse 20 here's what he says my prayer is not for them alone that's talking about his immediate disciples I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be, the, be one as we are one. In them and in, uh, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I don't know how you hear that this morning, but I have a sense of conviction deep within me. That we have to, friends, in 2024, in an election year, we need to be in John 17 daily. All believers are one together and one in Christ and a witness to a watching world. In fact, what's interesting is in verses 22 and 23, where Jesus is talking about his his glory. I've I've given them the glory that you gave me. Now, there are so many layers of glory that we could unpack this morning, but if we want to just keep it in this particular context, what Jesus is talking about here is the glory of what he's about to do on the cross, John 17, verse 1, the very beginning of our local context this morning. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. See, the context here connects the idea of glory to the work of the cross and suffering. Pick up your cross daily. Sound familiar? See, it's because Christ is in us, it's because Christ set the example that we can live and love the way Christ did. And friends, unity requires sacrifice. Because it means that you will have to lay aside what you want, you'll have to lay aside what you think is right, even if you know that person is wrong. (laughs) To love like Christ does not mean we compromise on sin issues either. Don't, Don't mishear what I'm saying. You read through the book of John and you will constantly hear him recording the words of Jesus as he encountered sin, saying, go and sin no more. But where his people are gathered, they should be unified. This is the example he set. Philippians, Paul records it for us from a prison cell, I remind us. In your relationships with one another even death on a cross and you know the worship team is going to come and they're, they're going to get said and we're going to go into a time of worship and and reflecting on this holy perfect triune god and it would be easy to just kind of hear this and say yeah unity is important but i think we're called to something much deeper than that this morning See, unity, if we're going to follow the example of the God whose image we bear, if we're going to follow Christ whose example we are meant to follow, then we need to recognize that unity demands that we die to ourselves. Unity demands that we're willing to give up position, to give up rights and status, and to not hold on to what is fair what's not fair you know who really understands the fairness issue is christ who was innocent and sinless and yet died for the sins of humanity the greatest exchange of unfair in all of human history Unity demands the death of pride so that we can operate in humility, forgiving, serving, putting others before ourselves. I wonder what the world would think if they watched a church that could do that. I wonder what they would think if they could see churches among different denominations linking arms and saying, oh, hey, you have that secondary doctrine? Hey, you have that secondary doctrine? That's all right, because we got Jesus. We got the essentials. Let's go love our community together. So, you know, in closing, some final words from Paul. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so, this is our mission. This is Christ's prayer. This is what you might say is our spiritual DNA. And so, as we reflect on that and we pray and we worship, I think I would invite you to pray what is maybe a very dangerous prayer, which is to simply ask, Lord, who do I need to forgive? Lord, where, does there need, where do I need to strive for reconciliation? God, where do I need to be more gentle? Here's... Here's a good one. You want to, like, think you're advanced in here? You want the intermediate prayer? Lord, would you humble me? I'm just going to leave that one right here. But as we go into a time of worship, would you, would you just consider and reflect who God is, how we reflect him individually, and as his church? Amen.
1: I'm mm-hmm.